the automated podcast. So welcome back to another episode of the automated podcast with your host, Mark Verbenkoff. So this week, I'm actually really happy to bring on Doya Snyders and Surf Dusbach, two researchers from the Rathenau Institute in the Netherlands. So if you haven't heard about this institute before, we do go into it during the podcast. But briefly, it is an organization that conducts research on the socially relevant aspects of science and technology, which is used to inform both the Dutch government and the general public on really the pressing technological impacts of our current times. So on the podcast today, the impacts of virtual reality, this is mostly tackled by Doya, and augmented reality, mostly tackled by Surf, are explored as we are seeing a boom in the use of these technologies really in the last several years. So uh, some quick bios and then we can jump right into the discussion. So Doya uh, examines the effects of information technology on society. So he is currently doing research on surveillance technology, the ethics of augmented and virtual reality, of course, which is relevant for this episode, and societal questions concerning radioactive waste projects. His doctoral research at the Free University of Amsterdam was about the societal consequences of environmental policy and was carried out in both the Netherlands and South Africa. And after working as a consultant on digital transformation, he was employed by the Netherlands Study Center for Technology Trends, the STT, and wrote, among other things, the publications uh, Data is Power, Big Data Scenarios, and Long Live Learning. This is about learning, technology, and the future. So Surf, on the other hand, is working on the theme Digital Society and focuses on societal issues regarding virtual, augmented reality, and voice assistance, which I hope he will come back uh, onto the podcast at some future point to actually talk about voice and voice assistance, which I have talked about on the podcast once or twice before. So during his master's in the European Studies on Society, Science and Technology, the S program, he explored the societal issues regarding the automation of labor, which was actually where we met as our thesis actually overlapped in a number of areas on this. So I've had a number of guests come onto the podcast to discuss the future of VR, but I especially looked forward to this discussion as we were really able to look at some of the societal impacts of these emerging technologies. So I hope you enjoy the discussion as much as I did. Thanks for coming onto the podcast. It's been, it's been a long time trying to schedule this, so I'm really excited to have you guys both on the podcast today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Uh, so kind of the main way that I like to start off these interviews is to ask you what initially got you interested in VR and AR, which will be the, the main subject of today's discussion. So um, I think Doya, you'll be focusing a little bit more on VR and surf on AR. So maybe we can start off, uh, Doya, you can, you can give your interest or your background uh, regarding VR. So I've been working on this theme of the digital society for a very long time. I used to work for the Dutch um, Center for Technology Trends and was very much engaged also with these new kind of developments. Uh, at the Rathenau Institute, we have been uh, doing a big study on the responsible embedding of new technologies in our society because the Senate asked us this. Um, so that the first chamber, the Senate in the Netherlands, was looking how to do this. So um, this urged us to do this large study called Urgent Upgrade, and we assessed eight emerging technologies, also AR and VR, 
And what we found at the end of the study is that there's so much public debate about the other technologies going on, about artificial intelligence, about robotics, about uh, Internet of Things devices, but not too much about VR and AR. So that really made us study this technology more closely and um, uh, got us really focused on it. And I think the last couple of years, there have been so many investments going on to this sector that it's really been mm. booming. At the same time, we've been seeing quite a lot of um, research being done on this and also on the ethical sides. But somehow this whole research domain hasn't spilled over into the public debate and into the political debate. So we as an institute thought this is where we should uh, come into the discussion. And Surf, how about yourself for AR? Yeah, I think the, the introduction that Doya did for Ratna is, uh, is, is a very good one because that's similar for me. Um, so I'm also a researcher at the Ratna Institute. And uh, there I'm working on two projects. And the first one was uh, AR. And the other one is voice technology. So we're talking about Alexa and Siri and Google and that kind of stuff. Um, so, but in a similar way, I'm, uh, I'm working with the Ratna with that similar goal and that similar mission, uh, but then working on AR. Um, but I think in regards to my, my own interest outside of Ratna, where it started off was, I think, uh, in Amsterdam, that there was some sort of um, event and there I started using a, a VR game for the first time, uh, which was called Super Hot, I think. Yep. And there you had to, it was kind of a shooter game. Uh, and I saw all these people playing that. Uh, and there, then they were ducking on the ground and they were sometimes jumping even. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> so after trying that and really immersing myself in the VR stuff, that was, uh, that was really interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, really immersive, cool experience. So I thought that was super new. Uh, and later on with, uh, with AR interests, I think like for a, a lot of futurists or people that are busy with, uh, with new technologies, I got interested by a series of Black Mirror that was really interesting for the societal aspects uh, because they had some AR in interest in there as well. Yeah, for, for uh, any of you listeners who haven't seen the Black Mirror episodes, um, I, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast that uh, it's highly recommended. Uh, I, I also have gotten uh, interested in AR and uh, I guess a little bit of VR to a certain extent through those very interesting episodes that they put out. There's one called uh, Striking Vipers, uh, which is on VR specifically. I thought it was quite interesting. It's about uh, two male friends playing a computer game, but in the game, they're, they're one of them is a female character, and they kind of uh, get entangled in all kinds of ways, not only in the fighting game, but also in a romantic way. And then the whole discussion is about uh, how does this play off in real life? So what kind of effects do social relations in the virtual domain have on our physical society? is a really interesting uh, yeah, topic, but also a way that they explore it in. Yeah, I think this is a theme that we'll be, we'll be discussing a little bit today, right? Like how these technologies really do have an impact on the way that interactions and dynamics between people uh, happen in society. Um, I do, I do want to maybe back up a little bit just for the audience that doesn't know about the Rathenau Institute. Maybe you could give a short introduction to, to what it is the Institute actually does, because I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, so if you can always check, check uh, or chip in, um, we are a Dutch Institute based in The Hague, and we advise on science, technology and innovation. We're a governmental think tank, completely independent, but funded through government. Uh, and we advise mainly the parliament. So parliamentarians can ask questions about uh, 
state-of-the-art of new technologies and their role in society. And we, we give updates about this and do studies into this. But it's not only the parliament, it's also um, other government organs. And we try to really reach out to society at large. Also often in our studies, also the VR study, we take kind of a consumer or a citizen perspective. And our institute likes to not only be called a research institute, but it's a research and dialogue institute. We use that mm. term in Dutch. We really try to stimulate public debate. Yeah, exactly. I think that's 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 right. Like for uh, the the discussions that we want to emphasize in in the public debate, and really give uh, a, a good foundation so that the discussions are happening on a on a so solid uh, research level, so that we can have the the good discussions that are needed in society. I think that was always the thing that I uh, kind of cued in on uh, regarding the Rathenau Institute and that made me quite interested in following a number of the reports that uh, you guys have been publishing over the last couple of years. Uh, it's really that, that public dialogue that needs to continually happen as these technologies continually advance and get more powerful and have uh, greater impact. So um, I'm happy to have you both here today to kind of discuss that with uh, VR and AR. I think because you've got an international audience, it's interesting to say that uh, many countries actually have these kind of organizations. Uh, we call them parliamentary technology associations. And um, there's a network called EPTA. You can, you can look it up. Mm -hmm. And nearly all, at least European uh, nations, have got an institute like this, which are publishing reports on this. So if you find what we say interesting, you might want to look up what's being said in your own uh, country or region. I was always wanting to have one from Spain because I'm based in Barcelona. It's just unfortunate that the, there's a bit of a language barrier there. But uh, I'll definitely link that network in the show notes of the episode if there are other audience members that want to, want to look into it. Um, I did want to kind of start off with looking at how VR and AR have been moving more into the consumer domain over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, I myself personally have only really gotten into using VR over the last year, year and a half. Uh, I was wondering if uh, you guys had some insights as to why uh, we're now seeing these technologies really move into the consumer da uh, domain uh, compared to before. Yeah, I think if I, I'll start out by um, addressing this for VR. I think there's different things going on. We know VR already for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, there's been research on it. Um, but the last five years, I think, firstly, the gaming industry has been looking for the next frontier. Mm -hmm. um, and secondly, the social media industry has been looking for the next uh, frontier. And I think, especially that second one, there's a big push by, I think Facebook is very much in the lead, who have invested uh, really billions into this uh, technology. And Facebook's uh, founder, Zuckerberg, his goal was to have a billion people using VR on a kind of um, Facebook-like social platform within a couple of years. And he really thinks and believes that VR will change the way not only in which we play, but also we communicate and work. And this kind of um, dreams that not only Facebook, but also Microsoft and Sony and Samsung and a couple of these tech giants have, have been um, introducing a lot of money into the tech. And because of that, the technology is becoming smaller and more wearable and much more powerful and much more comfortable and much cheaper. So uh, this is actually a good month to do this show because I think there's a new Facebook device out the Oculus 2, which I think is yeah, a couple of hundred dollars and is actually a really powerful uh, standalone device. So um, I think because of that, 
it is at the uh, within reach for millions of users, and uh, the content is uh, uh, is gaining uh, traction as well. So we'll see a lot more of this, I think. Yeah, I think for uh, for AR, it's a little yeah a little bit similar, but I think. Um, some people might know AR a little bit less than VR because VR became very popular with the, with the gaming industry, of course. But with, with AR, uh, it also depends a little bit on the, on the definition. But um, you might not know that it's already existing in many places if you look at, for example, projectors that are used, for example, in, in Sydney Opera House, which, we, uh, which is also a sort of a virtual layer that comes over uh, a building, which could be termed as AR as well. Uh, and then you have, of course, uh, some of the, the glasses like Google Glass uh, that didn't become a very big success. Uh, why that is and what's happening with that. We can talk a little bit later about that maybe. Mm -hmm. But uh, Google Glass, for example, didn't become a consumer product right away. But Google Glass Enterprise is there. Uh, and that says a lot already that it has actually moved into the professional domain. So when you're talking about the smart glasses in that, in that regard, um, it's really moved not to the consumer side, but more to the professional side. Uh, and there, uh, there's most of the development happening. Also, mostly because of the, the cost, uh, but also the investments that are being done there. Um, but uh, just, uh, you might think that AR is not that much in the consumer domain. But of course, uh, that's also not the case because I think everybody knows the game of Pokemon Go, which right. is definitely an AR game uh, that uh, has had a lot of impact and was downloaded like a million times uh, in the first few days anyway as well. Yeah, and uh, the filters, like every smartphone that is uh, coming out at the moment has these AR filters, which are very popular on uh, uh, Snapchat and uh, TikTok and uh, all these kind of social media platforms at the moment, which are also... Um, yeah, versions of the AR. Right, so um, maybe more than people think these, uh, both of these types of technologies are already available and uh, kind of permeating the society that we, that we live in. I think connected to this, uh, one of the main things that we thought uh, before recording to, to discuss are kind of the ethical and public issues regarding both of these technologies uh, specifically for consumers. And I think the, the report that came out from the Rathenau Institute uh, really dove into this. Maybe if I could get both of you to discuss some of the kind of the, the key ethical and public issues of these kind of emerging technologies. Before, with, uh, before we do that, I think yeah. it's very important also to distinguish uh, VR and AR in that regard, because there is, of course, a difference uh, between VR and AR. Uh, and what I would say f uh, is that uh, for VR, like we, we had, of course, a lot of uh, before VR existed, you have the gaming and you play a game on your PC or you go into the digital world in that way. Uh, and with VR, you are really immersed into uh, a virtual reality. Uh, and in comparison, AR is then uh, more of an digital layer that is put over our own uh, physical environment. So digital aspects come into our world in that regard. Uh, and I think that's a, an, a really interesting distinction uh, to make uh, because that uh, really defines both of these aspects and have, have a different impact on society as well. Yeah, I, I think um, we really see this, uh, the umbrella term we use is immersive technology. And we see this immersive technology as a next step in information society. So there's, there's a, bit of, a bit of a big claim, but I'll uh, just explain what we mean. We really see kind of this evolution of the way in which we interact with our computers. And um, first, our computers were stationary. The desktops are on our 
desks and in our offices. And then of course they have gone mobile with smartphones, tablets, and now we really see that this next step is emerging in which the whole um, experience of the virtual world is becoming immersive. So we're moving beyond the keyboard and the mouse and these flat screens uh, to having technologies in which we become actually integrated in the digital world and the digital world, especially in AR, is becoming integrated in our world. Uh, and at the same time, we see a kind of next step in information processing, first text and documents, work process being uh, digitalized and social networks and now basically the rest of the world, including how we move, what we say, where we are, what the world looks around us. So um, yeah, VR and AR, at least in techno uh, utopian dreams are really a, a, a next step of going beyond what we're doing at the moment in our digital society. Yeah, there's this uh, Klaus Schwab, who I believe was the, one of the high-ranking, if not the, like the, the chairman of the World Economic Forum. He coined the term of the fourth industrial revolution, right? And, and one of the kind of key points in that uh, initial coining of the term was this blending or merging of the digital and the biological. And I think, uh, Doya, yeah. you, you just touched on that perfectly. This is really like an age where, yeah, the, the, the biological and the digital are really merging and VR and AR are maybe some of the, the more powerful tools to enable that to happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If we can go into the um, uh, ethical and societal issues mm -hmm. by explaining a little bit more what kind of these technologies are, because we think they're basically doing three things at the same time. So firstly, they're digital data machines. All these machines are collecting data about our surroundings and about us as persons. They're analyzing this, they're rendering it and processing it. Uh, but at the same time, they are building up virtual worlds, or in the case of AR, virtual layers, which are attached to our physical world. and then thirdly, they're kind of interface technologies. So they give us as users access to this virtual world uh, in which we can navigate through them. But this interfacing is also that they are kind of changing our perception of uh, the world around us. So the technology is becoming more and more intimate. It's coming closer to us, so close that actually it is just only a few millimeters away from our eyes. And thereby digital stimuli are immediately um, modifying what we see but also uh, what we're hearing and what we're feeling. Um, and all these kind of three different ta uh, tasks that these machines are doing at the same time come with different ethical issues. So especially if you look at the digital data machine, to build up a good and very realistic virtual world, you need a lot of data. You need to know exactly what's going on around someone, but also how people are moving and uh, this comes with all kinds of uh, privacy issues. So the mass storage and processing of especially VR data raises all kinds of new questions regarding what privacy exactly is and how we can uh, understand it and what kind of regulations we need for it. Yeah, and I think that this is something that is becoming more and more uh, obvious to maybe the general public. Uh, I, I can only uh, refer to the audience so many times to uh, the Social Dilemma documentary that just recently came out, which I think really touches on uh, maybe not so much the, the VR and AR uh, impact yet, but certainly the, uh, the problems of uh, algorithms and AI within social media that is, again, kind of capturing our data and using it to uh, feed us advertisements. Uh, Surf, I, I don't know if you want to add to, to what Doya was saying regarding AR? Well, I can really, uh, with the last thing that you said, I can really add to that because um, 
with that regards to, to advertisement uh, and also uh, some sort of manipulation that is happening and through the screens or through social media and that uh, in that stuff uh, things are sold to you. Uh, the interesting case is that for AR, um, these aspects are being brought into the real world. So in regards to, for example, a game of uh, Pokemon Go, that is actually uh, a really cool game that people can play around, catch Pokemon in the real world, go outside, uh, and in that regard, meet each other and have a lot of fun. Uh, on the other side, uh, there are uh, companies that are uh, paying uh, Niantic, which is, by the way, uh, a startup from uh, Google, uh, incubated in Google, that they uh, pay Niantic to, in fact, uh, have some of the monsters uh, near their uh, near their businesses. Mm. So, for example, if um, McDonald's pays some money, then they have more monsters there, and actually more people will visit McDonald's in that sense. So, the advertisement model, the the manipulation model, becomes ingrained into real society now as well. And that is the, the interesting case of AR that the digital aspects are coming into the real world. Yeah, that's uh, really interesting and I guess scary at the same time for people that haven't heard about this, right? There's this capability of nudging people more towards uh, whatever it is that you want, whether it's you know, buying another Big Mac or, or, or anything else. Is there anything else that, uh, that we need to discuss regarding the, the key ethical and kind of public issues, maybe some other examples to make it a little bit more tangible for the audience? I do also want to get into kind of the uh, regulation side of things, but um, maybe we can dive into a couple examples which might uh, make it a little bit more, yeah, as I said, tangible for the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, with VR, but um, actually also in AR, the, there's also a big question of um, what it does to people's perceptions and if they can still see the difference between reality and the virtual domain. So there has been a study um, in which um, kids were asked what they had been doing the last couple of days, and they described their having been with uh, orcas. Well, actually, they had been um, viewing orcas in a, a VR setup. So um, it is a study by Bailey and Balinson, and they found that it's just difficult for people, and, and especially children in particular, to distinguish between virtual experiences and regular experiences. So this is kind of a form of uh, dissociation, and it's got very much to do with, as we call this technology, it's very immersive technology. There's a high level of emotional engagement, and also that can become so strong that people do not uh, see the difference between reality and the virtuality. And that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy, actually. Uh, I, I guess because VR is, especially consumer VR is so relatively new, we don't really know the kind of long-term impacts of this disassociation between the digital or the, the virtual and the, the physical, the real world yet, do we? No, and that's actually a really important point to make that, um, they have been around for a long time, but they haven't been used so much by mm -hmm. these amounts of users. So they're actually young research domains uh, monitoring and evaluating what these technologies are doing to our senses and to our, yeah, our physiques. So we think also it is very important to start up new research lines to monitor, the, monitor this and to see what exposure to this kind of technology for a long time does to you. Yeah, I can only imagine, right, if, um, I mean, I'm still old enough to remember 
living without a cell phone, especially a smartphone. Um, and when smartphones were starting to be used by the majority of, uh, of the population, there were lots of uh, people ringing the warning bells of the potential kind of problems in the future. And that's just with mobile phones, right? They're not completely immersive as VR and AR are. So I can only imagine that the the uh, consequences of using these technologies in the future will be uh, even more so than, than the mobile phones that we use today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we also found in the use of VR, there were a couple of social risks. We've seen like online harassment and so on. But uh, just as you're mm -hmm. saying, these are more immersive, that the forms of harassment and aggression also have a stronger effect. So this uh, poses a real risk. Yeah. We, there was one case which I found quite interesting uh, surrounding this platform called Quiver. I don't know if you know about it. There was a journalist using it and she describes how someone is harassing her and it's very different than the, the chat room because there's actual uh, a physique uh, mm. just in front of you and touching you all over. Um, but I found that the platform reacted very well and they created this new filter in which the users got these personal bubbles and as soon as hands touched uh, came towards the body, actually the hands just disappeared. So one could not touch each other and grope each other anymore in the virtual world. So I think these kind of developments are very good, but you see that at the moment, these kind of initiatives come from the platforms themselves and we don't have kind of societal rules or norms around this, this kind of situations. Um, maybe we can then jump into kind of the regulatory or the future regulations that need to be uh, imposed, right? You're, you're saying that, uh, say, the platforms are the ones that are, I guess, taking in user feedback and making the changes that need to be done in order to make them, I guess, safe and comfortable spaces to be to be used. But has the Rathenau Institute or yourselves kind of postulated some some interesting regulations that would be useful for AR and VR? Yeah, yeah. Well, to start out, we really choose this governance approach. So we've got this broad approach to it. And we think that not only policymakers should be involved in uh, regulating and uh, forbidding things and allowing things, but we believe really that society should be involved and industry and science and technology. Um, and what we see with these technologies is basically that um, there just has not been much public discussion. So journalists have not been involved yet. Uh, there have not been any uh, kind of programs such as around AI on ethical guidelines, around norms and legal frameworks. So we would say also to policymakers, we should launch kind of a national and maybe even an international debate on the, the ethics of AR and VR. And we see that with AI and with other technologies, these kind of broad debates, including kind of interviews on podcasts uh, that go international, uh, they kind of slowly but surely establish these frameworks for integrating these technologies into our society because you have uh, citizen platforms and you have policymakers and you have the tech all coming up with different uh, approaches to it. And slowly but surely, um, we will get an understanding of what we need to inform people, but also to protect them from the risks of, uh, of technologies. And as, as I was saying, like science and technology really needs to be involved. So we really need to study those long-term effects uh, of, uh, of these technologies as well. Right. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree further with you on that. Uh, Surf, do you have anything to, to add to regarding augmented reality? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's in that way, of course, similar to, to really um, know what we can talk about and what we should talk about with uh, regards to AR. 
Uh, and in that sense, I can give, give some more examples on uh, on the issues that uh, that AR brings up, because then uh, there also the discussion starts, and we can take it uh, take it from there with uh, with the public and all the people that we can talk to. So again, with the definition of AR, it's it's the two worlds merging, right? So uh, we have the rules of the physical world, and you also have the rules of the virtual world, and they are combining uh, are are being combined. And there you get sort of a, of a hybrid environment, a hybrid reality. And both of the rules that are present in both worlds then uh, mingle and that can form chaos or, in, in, uh, or some problems in, in a certain way. So for one example, we have uh, layers and AR that starts off with ourselves uh, and our humans, uh, us as humans. So uh, self-image uh, can be uh, switched up because of Snapchat and all the filters uh, that we have in our phones. And also the, the beauty filters are often now standard in, in our phones and always uh, there, which has, of course, uh, can have mental implications and uh, cultural implications of how we should look like. Um, but the bigger impact maybe is also uh, because AR is influencing the world, right? So mm -hmm. the, the public space and the public environment. Uh, again, the, the, the example of Pokemon Go is that uh, there are physical objects being placed in the real world uh, and there are rules in the real world that you cannot go into a hospital for nothing uh, and you cannot go to, for example, you know, a, a cemetery or certain spaces have certain rules and if there are people and children getting in there uh, fi finding Pokemon, that's of course getting a problem. Um, and then it's even harder sometimes in the case of, uh, of here in The Hague, uh, where there was a problem in the in dunes that we want, uh, wanted some of those creatures, virtual creatures out there. It's really hard to, for um, people to uh, make legal action towards these bigger companies and to actually get the virtual uh, creatures out of there. So there, that are some of the, the issues and with the public space it's also uh, is it still a public space if uh, we are putting ar in there so we want to really keep the public space meaning that it's accessible for all but if somebody puts for example an artwork somewhere in uh, in a park or really really changes the whole atmosphere and people are coming towards that space because of that uh, because of these digital layers well it's not only accessible for the people that have that those phones or, or those glasses uh, and the rules of that environment change as well. Uh, we did also one experiment ourselves. We made an, a sort of an art piece, a, a game, which was called Mirror World, uh, where it's, it's kind of a photo tag game. And we invited students to play it in the, the station in the, in the Hague, the central station. And suddenly, People were running around taking pictures of everything and then getting back to the people to see if the picture that they were taking was in fact of the place that, uh, that the person was first there taking the picture. Uh, so suddenly a public space becomes gamified in that way. And again, that poses bigger questions of how we should really go about, uh, about public spaces. Uh, yeah. I think that's where the discussion needs to be uh, for one aspect of AR. There's one legal scientist, he's called McClure, and he has also said, like, maybe we sh should have these do not locate me registers. Like in Holland, you've got registers uh, if you do not want to be called by advertisers and so on. But he was saying maybe we should have this for AR as well, because in these virtual platforms, you can seduce people to come to a certain space. 
Um, so maybe you want specific policy to say like me as a user or as a municipality, uh, you can decide which spaces are accessible and which ones are not. But uh, I think uh, Sarah's points on AR actually are really fascinating about uh, also commercialization because we've got there's so much importance to having public spaces with a public character in which we can just be free of uh, interference of, uh, of states and, uh, and companies. And this is, of course, a, a risk that your beaches and your nature reserves and also your bathrooms and so on uh, can all be commercialized just in a second by putting a, a virtual layer on it. And at the same time, we shouldn't only look at the, the risks, but you can also turn a forest into a classroom or into a, a memorial space or into whatever you want. There's huge uh, opportunities for this technology to change the way that we um, embrace uh, and uh, experience our, our yeah, so we were talking about the public space already, right? Um, and I think there has already been a lot of discussion about similar aspects for AR, for example, with the Google Glass. Um, and there it's a thing not really of the public space being uh, being taken over or, or adapted, but uh, of course there is an influence of cameras. Yeah. So in that sense, uh, there is not now the privacy issue of cameras and surveillance in, in, the, in the overall scheme, but there is these, yeah, you can say like these little big brothers everywhere, mm -hmm. uh, which was also, of course, the issue of the Google Glass uh, and also one of the reasons why it didn't uh, succeed in that way. So, of course, and in that sense, the discussions are already taking place. And I think that's a good example. And that's also why companies, again, can learn from these experiments uh, and also uh, know that discussions with the people and with uh, institutions and, and other people are really valuable uh, because then they don't fall into similar mistakes and then they actually maybe later on they can actually have the proper implementation of these technologies and the, in the way that we all want to have them. Right, but I think also with that, there's a there's a tremendous risk. No, like um, you were saying, the the eye tracking with Google Glasses, but this is uh, this is actually needed to be implemented into the VR headsets uh, for for many of the uh, games or some of the programs to work. Uh, yeah. No, if we if we take the the um, recent discussions about data accumulation in say Google or Facebook or or other. Uh, large um, tech companies, right? The, the the amount of data that these companies are getting about us simply by having a uh, a smartphone or the desktops around us, uh, I can only imagine that, the, that with this other layer of of uh, biometrics that VR and AR are going to be able to uh, to take from us and and give to these companies, it's just going to give them that much more strength or power to to nudge us or or um, uh, I don't want to say force us, but maybe certainly uh, allow us to use their products uh, more. And you know, as the social dilemma shows, uh, feed us advertisement, which doesn't benefit uh, society at all. Yeah, exactly. and the social dilemmas very much still the digital uh, society or digital world as we know it. But for this VR and AR worlds to work, you really want a lot of data also about mm. how people's fingers are moving and uh, indeed with infrared cameras, how their eyes are moving because that makes the, the experience much more uh, uh, naturalistic and uh, immersive. Um, because we don't have those keyboards and mouses anymore, you're tracking kind of all movements. 
And also what now is the problem with kind of Facebook is launching a new social media platform. They've killed their others and now this horizon is mm-hmm. coming out mm-hmm. and then a version. But what you still see is there's critique on all these cartoon characters walking around in these worlds. Um, people cannot associate enough with them. So they're also doing with Codex Avatar. I don't know if you have this part, know this project. It's really interesting. They're making really real life scans, kind of digital clones of people in which they, um, yeah, and scan your whole body and also all your mimics so that you can also have a virtual copy of yourself which people can really recognize as you and interact with as you. And uh, I think especially in in AR, this poses also huge problems because it's not only the data of the user that you are monitoring, like in VR, who is maybe in his, uh, his own room, in his own house, but in AR, it will be in the public space. So it's also other users that you're tracking, but also non-users that have not consented right. to right. having their data uh, registered and tracked. I, I do see that the time is dwindling down a little bit. Uh, maybe we can go to kind of the, the central theme of, of the podcast um, regarding the impact on jobs. Uh, I don't know if, um, if uh, both of you want to take a kind of a stab at how VR and AR, uh, as you perceive it and as, as has been written maybe in the reports, uh, how these technologies will be impacting jobs. Yeah, I can uh, maybe start in uh, regards to uh, to AR because we have some case studies that we've done and talked to people in the in the in the enterprise and in the professional setting uh, that are actually using AR. So it is uh, in some regards definitely impacting jobs, um, but it's it's changing the job, mm-hmm. uh, which is the most part of it. Uh, so uh, and the, the biggest. Part of that is that um, it's an, an information switch where first off, uh, a lot of stuff was uh, information that was presented in 2D and now it's more in holograms or in 3D. So in the, in the case of uh, neurosurgery, uh, we talked to, uh, to a researcher there and he was really um, yeah, positive about the aspect that now w- when they make, for example, brain scans, MRI scans, it's basically uh, additive uh, pictures that build up a picture, right? Mm-hmm. So you scroll through the brain when uh, you are trying to find a tumor uh, and there you can actually find uh, where it's actually located. But then now they can actually make a 3D model of that. And when they are then uh, talking with the, the patient, they can put the the brain literally, uh, but then of course the virtual one on the table and look at it, talk about it, which really adds to uh, to the understanding of the patient and the explanation of that. Um, and in similar ways, that's also happening with uh, construction where uh, first off, uh, some people wanted to build a bridge, but the construction of that bridge is really difficult. Where do you place it? What are the layers that need to be done to build it? Uh, but now, instead of all these 2D drawings, you have a 3D model where you put on the uh, HoloLens and you see the actual bridge being placed over the river and exactly where it's located. So again, it's the if information process that is really helping uh, and which yeah gets to an overview that makes the whole process a little bit easier. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, I've had a number of guests uh, come on to talk about uh, the impact of, say, VR. Uh, but this seems to be uh, what you're saying here, Surf, is 
very applicable to many different domains, right? So it's kind of a, a cross impact across all these different domains and industries. And I think some of these examples that you just gave kind of give a, a good picture as to how useful uh, AR will be for specific jobs in, in the future. Uh, Doya, do you want to discuss maybe some of the impacts of, of VR? Yes, I think similar, uh, it can really have an empowering effect on users uh, and also in, uh, in work environments like being able to study a three-dimensional model of a child's heart in VR can really help surgeons perform more successful operations. And um, the same is for, yeah, it, of course, it's also a cheap way to simulate uh, dangerous situations for maybe soldiers or expensive situations for maybe engineers that have to do underwater engineering. And so in that sense, there's um, yeah, really great ways to kind of use it in educational and healthcare and judicial settings. And they are also interesting because they can kind of simulate the world, but also tweak them. You can do it again and again, and at the same time, you can kind of manipulate it so that maybe um, I've seen therapies in which people um, learned how to uh, conquer their fears, and they had kind of uh, virtual users, avatars, all kind of looking at them or looking away from them so that they could experience kind of this kind of peer pressure. And, uh, there's uh, so much possible in these worlds. And at the same time, of course, there's kind of fortunes and misfortunes which are being handed out by these technologies. Um, what we also saw, especially in literature, actually not so much in our case studies, is that uh, de-skilling can also be uh, involved, like in, in kind of warehouse settings, um, these AR glass can be used to simplify all kinds of tasks, which make it easy for mm -hmm. non-actors to do kind of jobs, but they can also be gamified and gamified to such a level that um, people kind of use their or lose their cognitive autonomy, that they have the idea that they are not really working themselves anymore, but in a sense, they're automated themselves to uh, stay with the theme of this podcast. <laughs> right. so, are we with this kind of AR glasses automizing people? Well, I don't think, well, we haven't found actually much empirical uh, evidence for this, but it is a risk. It is a very potential scenario, which we should uh, mine for. Which also goes into the, the monitoring and again, the data aspect, of course, right? So everybody, everybody that is wearing uh, a smart glass in, for example, a warehouse uh, has the potential to be monitored. So it's really the discussion with the, the people that implement it. How do you implement it? What kind of data do you want to gather? Uh, and, and how do you go forward with uh, implementing these technologies? Yeah, um, I couldn't agree further with that. I, I really think that as, uh, you know, on this podcast and especially with you guys, you know, we've, we're discussing the emerging technologies and really kind of the aspects that aren't too well known yet. Um, so yeah, thanks very much guys for bringing a little bit of elucidation to VR and AR with regards to the ethical and, and kind of public issues and the regulations and such. I know that you are going to be having a AR report published in the, uh, yeah, in the next couple of weeks or months. Yeah, yeah, next couple of weeks. Great. And there is a VR report that uh, goes into what we discussed a little bit more substantially. I'll link up in the show notes, uh, the link to the report as well as to the Rathenau Institute. But if anybody wants to get in touch with you guys or follow your specific work, uh, where should people get in touch with you? Um, well, both our names and email addresses are on the Rathenau site. So I think that's probably easiest if you just go there and look up Doya Snyders or Seraf Duisborg. Perfect. Uh, easy enough then. <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, um, thanks again for coming on. 
and looking forward to reading that AR report in the, in the future. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a like or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, feel free to do so over Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for Automated Podcast. On the website, automatedpodcast.org, you can leave a comment on any of the episodes, read the transcripts, and look at the sources I use in all of these episodes. There are also blog articles and additional resources and information on this topic and podcast if you are looking for more. See you next week. The Automated Podcast.